morning. We uh, want to do something this morning. Take a, take a minute with me and repeat after me this verse. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Let's try that again. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. You know, if, if the reality of the truth of that verse ever penetrated your hearts and minds, then our perspectives and our, our uh, values, our, our convictions, our choices would be altered forever. In fact, if the reality of that verse ever really fully penetrated our hearts, then all of a sudden sin would look stupid and, you know, obedience would make sense and the grace of God would be seen for what it is, which is amazing. So hold that thought. We're going to come back to it in a minute. But uh, last week we looked at, uh, we began looking at a series on uh, God's uh, plan for success, his map for success for you, so that you would know about that. We looked how God had provided a map for us so we would understand how to uh, really be successful. And it starts off meditation. We learn uh, as we meditate on God's word, that leads to application which leads to progress. And so we learned a little bit about meditation. We learned that it allows you to get to know God's word at a heart level. In other words, God's not interested just in your behavior, but he wants you to really change from the inside out. He wants your heart to really be different. He wants you to to think different and, and to value different things. And so as you meditate on God's word, it allows you to get to know God's word at that heart level and move to application. Then application allows you to make consistent progress in your walk with God and in life, not only changing outwardly, but changing inwardly as well. And in progress, progress allows you to approach each day with a sense of confidence and hope. And the main reason is because you see God at work in your life, leading you down a path of guaranteed blessing and guaranteed success from him as you take his word and put it into practice. We also spoke last week a little bit about a variety of methods, and we talked about how you can take God's Word and you can picture it, and then you can also ponder it, that you can uh, pronounce it, you can paraphrase it, you can uh, even uh, probe it, and and different ways that you approach God's Word like that so that you can really get to know it more. And then lastly, I encouraged you to take some time and set aside during the week to get into God's Word for yourself so you could begin to experience the whole process of it yourself, so you could begin to do that. I'm hoping a good number of you did. Now, today what I'd like us to do is I would like us to look at the text that we just quoted and use that as kind of a uh, how-it-works illustration of this whole process. And what I'm hoping is that in the process, you'll not only uh, learn some things from the verse, but you'll also learn some things from the process and how that goes about. About a year ago... I ran into this verse, Jonah 2.8. And I could sense um, that God really was wanting to say some more to me out of that verse than when I first encountered it. I, I ran across it, I kind of looked at it, and I thought, hmm. And you know how sometimes you read something that kind of sticks with you? Well, that's how that verse was for me. I, I read that, and all of a sudden I thought, wow, I think God wants to say So I memorized the verse, which, by the way, uh, just this is free. But what I'd encourage you to do sometimes is this. You know, if you run across a verse and all of a sudden you think, God may have more he wants to say to me out of this, memorize that verse. That way, no matter where you are, it's with you. 
Why? Because you have it memorized. So just, you know, take it along with you. So that's what I did. And I memorized that verse. And what I'd like to do is to kind of walk you through the process of meditating on that verse and kind of what God began to reveal. Because I think the verse will have some ramifications for you, but I think the process will as well. So we're going to look at that this morning. For some reason, the first word that that stuck out to me in that verse was the word clean. Uh, I'm really not sure why. Maybe it was because uh, I'd run across that verse about a year earlier in a, in a passage in Deuteronomy uh, 13.4 that we mentioned last week. And uh, it had the same word. In Deuteronomy 13.4, Moses is speaking to the Israelites, and he says this, You shall follow the Lord your God and fear him, and you shall keep his commandments, listen to his voice, serve him, and cling to him. Now, at the time, I remember I couldn't really get my mind fully wrapped around cling. I thought, what what does that mean, you know? And I thought, well, I'm not really sure. And I thought, well, I ought to look it up. And I thought, no, I'm busy. And and I thought, well, I'm probably doing it anyway. You ever do that? You know, well, I'm probably doing it anyway. I probably just don't know what it is, but I'm doing it. That's what I thought. And so I just went on my way, you know. Well, this time I run across it and I thought, you know what? I need to know what that word means. I need to know what, what, cling keeps coming on my radar screen. I need to know why. What does it mean to cling? So I began to look that up. Now, just another free thing. You know what? If you run across things and you don't know what they mean as you're reading a passage or as you're studying something, look them up. Okay? It's not that hard. I mean, you know, there are all sorts of tools. There's books that are good. There's other things. But you, on the Internet, there is a ton of stuff. You can just go on the Internet. Now, some's really good and some you probably just want to forget. But, I mean, there's stuff that's really good. You can go to someplace like netbible.org something like that, that's netbible.org. You could look up uh, there. There it brings up a plethora of translations. You can look up any word, whether it's in the Greek, whether it's in the Hebrew, whatever it is, and you can find out the various shades and nuances of meaning. So, you know, do that. If you don't know what it means, look it up. So that's what I did. I began to look it up, and what I found is this. Cling is a word that means to pay attention to or to worship. Now, this pay attention is not like, you know, I used to hear, like, Neil, pay attention. Uh, but this is really a pay attention that you do out of desire. Like, you know, I noticed she's been paying a lot of attention to him. You know, something like that. Or, you know, he pays a lot of attention to his car. It's one of those things that you do because you want to do it. You choose to do it, to pay attention to. Another uh, aspect of that was it means something that uh, your mind runs back to. Again and again. Something that you keep going back to, you keep running back to in your mind. Another thing is, it means what you hold on to when you have to let go of something. What you hold on to. What is it that you really think, I have got to keep hold of that. That's what it means to cling. That's what it is. So I'm thinking, okay, pay attention to, thinking about all the time, what you hold on to, clean. I, I, I think I've kind of got that. Well, the next word that kind of came up on the radar for me was the word idols. And I thought, well, I don't want to just kind of dismiss that, you know, and think of some little wood statue over here somewhere and think, well, I don't do that. <laughs> That's okay. You know, I didn't want to do that. I thought, you know, I need to figure out what are the idols in my life? Do I have idols in my life? You know, what is that? And so I began to look that word up as well. In that verse, the word means what is insubstantial, empty, or futile, things that you give allegiance to that take the place of God. 
And so I began to ponder that. I began to think, okay, what kind of things would I give allegiance to that would take the place of God? Well, what, what are some things God does in my life? And I thought, well, um, identity. You know, he kind of gives you your identity. He gives me my, me my identity. And so I thought, what other things do we look to for identity? You know, um, maybe, it's a, uh, maybe it's a job. You know, maybe it's a title. Um, you know, it could be a variety of things. I began to think, okay, what, what could it be? A degree? Um, then I thought, you know, God is somebody that we get our uh, sense of significance from. He's one that we consider ultimately significant. He's someone that we really place our trust in. I thought, what other things would I place my trust in? I thought, wow. Um, so I started thinking, okay, maybe a relationship, um, maybe, uh, maybe a bank account. You know, maybe a, a, a certain a zip code or something. You know, you kind of think, okay, boy, if I'm just here, everything's secure, everything's good, everything's right. So I began to think about that. So, you know, and then another aspect of it, I thought, okay, where do I look to for peace and joy? Where do I go for those things in my life? You know, those are the things that are really the idols in your life. Not not bad sometimes in and of themselves, but horrible to be placed in the position of God in your life. They were never intended for that. So I began to look at that, but then I ran across the next word, worthless idols, and I thought, oh, thank God, because I know none of my idols would be worthless idols. <laughs> I mean, they're worth something, you know, I mean, I guarantee it, you know, I mean. But then I began to figure out, okay, it's not talking worthless idols from the vantage point of, they have no value. It's talking worthless idols from they have no ability to be able to do for you the things that only God can. So I began to look at it and I thought, wow, even respectable idols are worthless idols then. Even respectable ones. So I began to look at that verse, those who cling to worthless idols. How do you know if you're clinging to worthless idols? If I were to ask, you know, the group right now, okay, how many of you are clean to worthless idols? I'm not, no, not me. You know, I mean, that's kind of how I was. Oh, I'm sure I'm not. Maybe. Well, I don't, I'll check. Well, probably. All right, I'll check. You know, I mean, you know, I don't know about you, but, you know, you begin to think, how do you know if you're really clinging to a worthless idol? It's by what you're willing to let go of the Word of God over. What are you willing to let go of the Word of God over? That's how you know what you're clinging to. That's how you know if you're clinging to worthless idol. What makes you willing to let go? You know, for some people, it's um, wanting to be married. You know, I, I see some people, and boy, they're like, I am committed to God. I am going to walk with him. No two ways about it. I mean, you know, what he wants for me, that's what I want. Except, you know, I, I really want to be married. And so... You know, I mean, I, I, and I've heard all these things, trust me. I mean, I have worked with students for years, and I've heard, but you don't understand. Yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's not really a believer. And yeah, I mean, okay, you know, he's not really normal, but, you know, he's got a good heart, you know, and, and really, I mean, you know, I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I, and I hear some of these things. I just, just, got a, um, just got a word the other day that one of our grads, you know, um, that I know several years ago, she had uh, told me, she said, oh, there's this guy that's showing interest. She goes, but don't worry. You know I mean? Well, I'm, you know, I'm not going to, you know, go there because, boy, I mean, he's not even a believer. You know, I'm going to 
not interested, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? Two years have passed. Now, I mean, good night, the clock's ticking. Tick, 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 you know. So what now? Well, she's engaged. I thought, you've got to be kidding. No? Why? Well, because sometimes, you know, we're willing to kind of change some things we believe. You know, we kind of go from, okay, it needs to be, you know, walking with God, strong, committed, going the same way, uh, okay, breathing. Uh, you know, we kind of, you know, we kind of change what uh, we look at there sometimes, you know, and we begin to kind of alter it. Why? Because we really are clinging to something we want. You know, that's not the only thing. I mean, how many times have you seen people let go of their integrity because they got in a financial pinch? And so they, they, they come to the point where they're like, well, you know, yeah, the way I had to handle this situation or the way I'm handling my money or the way I'm doing this, yeah, I know it's not exactly right, but I'm sure God understands. No, he doesn't. So, you know, you begin to look, you know, and shoot, as long as we're talking about it, you know, there's a lot of people that they don't make progress in their walk with God because the thing they're holding on to is, is, is something just, you know, really trivial like, you know, the gym, you know. Well, I mean, I have to go to the gym like, you know, six times a week because if I don't, then, you know, I mean, I can't, I won't look like I look. And I think, you know, yeah. And, and they're like, you know, and well, I mean, this is what I'm holding on to. And I think, I know some of you are thinking, you have not been holding on. No, I haven't. You know, I haven't, I don't hold on to that. So, I mean, that's okay. But, you know, I mean, for some of them, you know, they're holding on to that. For other people, it's the office, you know. I, I don't mean your workplace. I mean, actually, the show, The Office, that's what they're holding on to, Okay. I mean, for them, you know, you start talking to them, they can tell you everything that has happened with every character from day one. They're like, oh, my gosh, he's leaving the series. What are we going to do? And they're just going off all this stuff. They can tell you everything. And then you ask them about the Word of God, and they go, I got nothing, okay? I don't know. I don't know. Why? I don't have time. Well, stop watching The Office, man. Maybe you have time, you know? You begin to look. Every person is clinging to some things. What you've got to do is you've got to begin to figure out, what are the things that you're clinging to? What is it that you're really giving attention to? Idols can take a lot of forms. You know, they can be persons. They can be uh, positions. They can be perspectives. Sometimes it's little play things we have, things we want to have. You know, they can be places. You know, some people, I am convinced, are going to be bummed that Tinkerbell is not included with heaven because they're sure the happiest place on earth. They know already. You know? What you need to decide is, you know, what are the idols in your life? What are the things that began to take the place of God? Because you either let go of the idol or you let go of God. You can only cling to one thing. But that's only half the verse. That's only half the verse. The next part right there, the next word that caught my attention was the word grace. Now, I'm fairly certain that we misunderstand that most of the time, so I began to study that as well. What you find is this. Grace is God working in your life to enable you to do what you could never do on your own. Grace is God working in your life to enable you to do what you could never do on your own. Like one of the first parts of that is having a relationship with him. If you look in Ephesians 2, one of the things it says is that God begins a relationship with us by grace. It is a gift from him. He gives it. It's not something you can earn. You definitely don't deserve it. If you deserved it, it would not be grace. 
So God begins a relationship with us like that. That's what God does. You know, even though we've ignored him, even though we've chosen to go our own way, even though that we've done that ultimately to our own harm, God still steps back in, calls us back, and shows us his grace. God loves intersecting people's lives at the point of failure, at the point of despair, and then placing them on a path that is totally different, with totally different meaning. Have any of you ever felt like failures? Anybody? Yeah? One or two? Yeah. The rest of you are the same ones who didn't want to make progress in your walk with God last week. You're not fooling me. This is the lying crew right here. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure everybody has pretty much felt like a failure at one point or another. Until you experience the grace of God in your life, you're always looking for a more secure way to bury the past. You're always looking for another way. Some, some way that people just won't know. They just won't find out. You're always looking to undo a certain day, you know, a certain weekend, a certain season of life, and you think, if I could just undo that, then life would be okay. But what the grace of God does is it comes in and it takes away the need for a do-over. What the grace of God does, it allows you to experience peace and security, not based upon an unblemished past, but based upon the work of God in and through your life. That's the beauty of grace. That's what God does through his grace. Now, better news yet, better news for you. Do you know what you get every day as you walk with God? Grace. In Colossians 2.6, Paul says this. He says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, how did you receive him? By grace, through faith. How do you walk with him? By grace, through faith. Every single day, you have an opportunity to experience the grace of God in your life. You being able to make progress in your walk, that's because of grace. God opening up his word to you, that's because of grace. Grace is God working in your life to enable you to do what you could never do on your own. So grace is fairly amazing. God constantly working within us. Now, there was another word there, though, forfeit. I didn't really have to look that one up. You'll have to take this by faith, but I used to be an athlete. And so long ago, I found out what that word means, forfeit. You can sum it up in two words. You lose. Okay? That's what it is to forfeit. You lose. But there's a worse part about forfeit. It's worse than losing. You never even give yourself a chance to win. When you forfeit, you never even give yourself a chance to win. You forfeit. You lose. Now, in this case, you never give yourself a chance to experience the grace of God in your life each day. Why? You can only cling to one thing. You can't cling to two. You can cling to one. So, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Well, how did Jonah come to know that? How did that really play its way out in his life? Well, I'm glad you've asked. Um, you know, the point of God's story through Jonah is to tell us about his grace. God loves to tell people about his grace. He wants us to know. In fact, God wants us to be telling other people about his grace. He wants us to be sharing that with them. 
in our lives, just like in Jonah's life, we have to first be recipients of that grace before we're people who begin to tell it to others. So if you felt like a failure, great. May that thought stay with you the rest of your life. Because as you're a failure, may you remember that it was at the point of your failure that God met you and you experienced his grace. So when you meet other people and they're going, oh, I messed up, I'm a failure, you can say, you're a candidate. This is great. You can experience the grace of God in your life. And you begin to talk to them, work with them. Well, here's how Jonah's story starts. Let's look at his story. It says in Jonah 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amity, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for the port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, Jonah was a spokesman for God in the Old Testament. You know, God had these uh, prophets, which basically what they did, he'd come around, he'd say, okay, you need to go say this. And so they would go and tell these people things that God wanted them to hear. And so Jonah was one of these. And so God tells Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, which was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. He says, I want you to go there, and I want you to tell them my message. What was Jonah's response? He ran the other way. See, now, Nineveh was about 500 miles northeast of uh, where he was at the time. And instead, what does he do? He books a ship heading 2,300 miles to the southwest. The exact, I mean, it's like if, you know, if I told you, you need to go to Sacramento, and you go, Got it. And you go to the airport and book something to Hawaii. You know, it's like, missed it by that. You know, I mean, it's, you know, you just, he's headed the other way. Now, why? Was he scared? Well, you know, he's probably scared. I mean, the Assyrians, honestly, they were mean. I mean, these guys were mean people. When they would, they would sometimes, when they would conquer a people, they would skin them or something like that. Or when they would take them back, if they decided they were going to take them back as captives, they would take these huge fish hooks and put them through their jaw and then string them together and pull them behind their camel caravan. These were mean people. And Jonah's, I'm sure, not excited about this. He's not thinking, I want to go to Nineveh. No, I mean, that's not something that's on it. But you know what? That wasn't his biggest fear. If you look a little bit further down the road, what you find is this. Jonah's biggest fear is that God is going to be exactly who he is, a gracious God. In fact, Jonah's fear is that God might relent once he goes and says something to these people and that God may not punish them. And honestly, he wants the Assyrians to be punished. I mean, he would like them to be beaten severely. And so he is not in any way, shape, or form. Now, before you are too quick to condemn Jonah, aren't we like that sometimes? Don't we sometimes kind of think, well, I mean... God's been gracious to me, but I mean, honestly, I, I kind of deserved it. I mean, you know, I mean, when God was looking around, you know, I mean, I mean, I hear people sometimes and they share their testimonies and they go, you know, before I came to God, well, I really wasn't bad at all. I'm sure God has the same opinion, don't you? He was up there going, oh, she's perfect, I'll take her just like that. You know what? No need to change anything there. We won't be working on anything for the next few years. We'll just keep her just like that. No, 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 no. Every one of us have this idea that we somehow deserve grace. But then there's people, oh, 
You know that person at work that just irritates the fool out of you? Or you know those people that never have treated your family right? Now, we know they don't deserve the grace of God. But you see, grace is a gift. And Jonah was about to learn that. So Jonah is on board this ship. He's headed to Tarshish, but this great storm arises, and everything's being blown about, and everything's being tossed to and fro. And so the, the sailors come in, and they ask, they ask Jonah, you know, Jonah, who are you? And this is what he says. He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And they're all, wait, 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 back up, back up. You, you, you worship what? You know, I, I worship the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now, what are you thinking? You're running from God who made the sea, and where are you now? On the sea? What are you thinking? You know, I mean, they're really frustrated at this point, you know, and, and they're looking at him, they're saying, what have you done? You know, because they knew that he was running from God. And so they're just like, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do with you? And then they ask the question, and they say, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Now, Jonah, the drama queen that he is, you know, he comes up and Jonah's like, just kill me. Just kill me now. And they're like, oh my gosh. And they're like, all right, we'll try this. So they try this and they try different things. And finally they go, yeah, kill me. So they pick him up, you know, and they toss him overboard, you know, and, and so he goes overboard and all of a sudden everything is calm. Then you look in verse 17, it says, but God had designed a great fish to come along. He provided a great fish for Jonah and the fish swallows Jonah, and Jonah immediately goes into the belly of the fish, and he's in the fish for three days. Now, I do not think it took Jonah three days to repent. I don't think Jonah was in there, you know, it's like, you know, day two. He's like, nope. You know, I mean, no, I think it was about 30 seconds, you know. 30 seconds inside of a fish, and you're thinking, okay, let's talk. You know, I mean, and that is exactly Jonah. I mean, Jonah gets to this point, you know, and boy, he's, he's, ready, to, he's ready to talk to God. And when he gets out, he gives us a little snapshot of the conversation that he had. So if you look there in in, uh, chapter 2, verse 2, he says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. See, God's grace extended to Jonah even when he was running away. In fact, God was willing to listen to the one who didn't even listen to him. Why? Because God's gracious. That's what he's like. So God listens to him, and then he says, you hurled me into the deep. No, no, he didn't hurl you, Jonah. The sailors hurled you into the deep. Well, what Jonah began to understand was the sailors were people God was using in his life to get him to the point where he needed to be. In your life, you're going to find right now that a lot of the people who just irritate the fool out of you or a lot of situations that really frustrate you right now, Really, one day when you're right with God and you're on the other side, you'll look back on that and you'll say, those are exactly the people God was using to get me to where he wanted me to be. God did that. Now, you may not be there yet, but that's, what, that's where you will be one day. One day you'll look back and you'll say, God did that. That's where Jonah is. Jonah says, you hurled me into the sea. He says, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. What he began to look at, Jonah saw 
that the disciplining grace of God, it wasn't to pay him back. It was to draw him back. God's purpose wasn't, you know, I'm going to get even with Jonah here, but his purpose was I want to draw him back so that I can use him and have him be productive in his life in the way that he should have been from the very first. So that was the purpose. So then in 2, 7, and 8, we see Jonah's confession. He says, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. What Jonah is saying is this. He says, God, when I'm intent on going my way, I'm going to miss yours. And he says, when I hold on to the things that slip in to take your place, I give up the grace that you are trying to offer me. That was paraphrasing. I worked on that from last week. So I thought I'd let you know. But now you kind of know, you know, what my thoughts have been over the last year, how I've been thinking about this. And as we talked about last week, meditation leads to application. So as I began to think through that, then some questions began to come to my mind. I'll bring them up to you so you can consider them as well. I began to ask myself, what is it that I'm clinging to? What is it that I need to let go of? In fact, what is it that I feel like I cannot bear to lose? That's an idol. I need to let go of that. So how do you do that? How do you do that? Well, it it starts with words. You say, you know, God, I've been holding on to, and you fill in the blank. And then it becomes real with action. You begin to ask yourself, what would it look like to really let go of this in my life? You identify that, and you begin to do it. So next steps for you, you know, as you think through this, what are are some of the next steps for you? Well, maybe think through what are idols you may have in your life? Maybe an attitude, maybe a habit maybe a relationship, and then ask, what would it look like to begin to let go of these? And then get started. Or maybe identify a passage that God has really been trying to speak to you about for the last few months, for the last few years. Identify that passage and take some time this week to get started. Use the tools we talked about last week. Begin to meditate on that passage. Begin to allow God to speak to you through that passage. Or thirdly, maybe just memorize Jonah 2.8. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs so that God can keep that at the forefront of your mind. Now, I'm not sure if you're like me, but what I find is this. I have to consistently be monitoring my heart all the time, because I find these little worthless idols, they want to work their way in there all the time. And the best way I've found to do that is just daily time with God, where I, I just have some with him time, where I, I get away and I, I take his word and meditate and run it through my mind, looking to apply it, and then watching as he takes those steps, little by little, day by day, and changes my heart, and changes the direction of my life. So I would encourage you to begin to do that. And I think as you do, what you'll find is that God will really allow you to make tremendous progress in your walk with him. And you'll really see differences that are happening all along the way. It'll be really good. 
Before we wrap up right here, um, I wanted uh, you guys to meet somebody. Some of you uh, know them, some of you don't. Randy and Crystal Paul are back here, and they are, are with us uh, today. Randy and Crystal, you guys stand right there. Stand up, stand up, stand up. There you are. There you are. All right, yeah. Randy, I look up, oh, there they are. Good night. Uh, uh, they are uh, members of uh, CIV, and they are helping extend the kingdom in Central Asia right now. So they're back here visiting for a little while, and so we're always excited about that and excited to have them here with us. So let's take a minute, let's pray, and then we'll welcome the band back up and um, take some more time to worship. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, you've given it to us so that our lives can be forever altered. Thank you that as you've also given us a real map about how to, how to discover the things that you want to teach us out of your word, that as we meditate on it and apply it to our lives, that, Father, you then allow us to see the progress that we so long for and that we so desire. So I pray that, Father, you would um, take the words Uh, that have been shared, that, Father, you would uh, personally um, edit them for each heart and help them to understand how to put those into practice and and to get started in that. Thank you for what you're going to do. We trust you to do that in Jesus' name.